from the UTRGV School of Medicine, this is the Wellness Podcast. In this episode, we turn our focus to financial wellness. You have an opportunity to listen to an expert about what you should be doing with your finances in order to get on the right path. And with that, I give you our next episode. So welcome students. Today we have a special guest. His name is Johnny Chen. Johnny is an MS2. He is the head of my house of Maimonides. And I regard him as a medical student financial guru, which is why we're talking to him today. Um, Being financially well is part of yourself as a human being and making sure that you have enough money uh, definitely contributes to your well-being. And trust me, as being a 45-year-old doctor well into practice, this is something that you need to hear now and start thinking about now so that that way you're that much more financially savvier by the time that you get out of here. So I want to welcome you and thank you, Johnny, for joining us today. Hey, Dr. Escalona. Thank you so much for having me as a guest speaker. Definitely. And so I don't really know, isn't that sad? You're like the head of my house and I know very little about you and I've been dying to ask you questions. So I guess starting off, I guess, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, I guess it's been really tough for us to get to know each other just because of the pandemic. You know, we've had to socially distance and then just like this year, we've just been having like more in-person conversations and everything, but Um, So I actually started off like I was always interested in going into medicine. Um, So ever since I was an undergrad, um, I I was initially like a biomedical engineer. Um, But then I realized I'm really bad at math and physics, like especially advanced level. (laughs) So I was like, I can't really do engineering. So because I was initially planning to have engineering as a backup in case uh, medical school didn't work out because it was so competitive. Um, But then I just decided after I took a course in neuroscience in undergrad, um, I really enjoyed it, learning about the brain, like Alzheimer's disease, you know, all the neurodegenerative diseases. Um, So eventually I chose that as my major and I had a minor in psychology um, with the goal of eventually going to medical school, hopefully, (laughs) and then luckily got into UTRGV. Um, But, you know, in preparation for medical school, um, I actually took like a gap year Um, so like during that time I pursued, like I had an interest in finance. So, um, ever since my dad started me an account with, uh, Fidelity, uh, with a Roth IRA. So he set that up for me and he taught me a lot about like kind of stocks, like more like, I guess, like general information, because he's definitely not a financial advisor. I wouldn't take advice from him, (laughs) but, um, you know, he just set me up an account and I just looked into it myself. So. And then I put actually on my LinkedIn uh, finance as one of my interests. And then I guess it was like, I guess, luck in a way. So someone from TD Ameritrade, which is like a big stock brokerage firm, it's kind of like in the same tier as like Charles Schwab and Fidelity and Merrill Lynch. So they actually contacted me and they were interested in hiring me as a financial representative. So I interviewed you know, um, got through the interview process, got through the phone screen, got through the in-person interview. (laughs) This was before the pandemic, obviously, but um, yeah. And then I worked there for about a year or so. Um, I took the series seven and the series 63. 
Um, so in case you don't know what those are, um, those are the big uh, li licensing exams to become an officially licensed uh, stockbroker for the uh, whole like continental United States. So it's like a, I guess like a national exam. You can kind of think of it like maybe like the USMLE, but not as hard as the USMLE. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like that. So that's essentially where I ended up, I guess, gaining more financial knowledge and really kind of understanding like finance on like a better level than I ever thought I could. <laughs> so. Oh my God. A little tidbit. <laughs> that, that is a lot of a tidbit. And I'm trying to maybe like bend my brain around this. So one wow to engineering is my backup. You want to know what my backup was? Nothing. I don't know what I was going to do. No, uh, the engineering wasn't my plan. That was like what my dad wanted me to do because he's an engineer. He's like, you should do engineering just in case it doesn't work out. Oh my so, God. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Good for you. And the other thing is as far as like, oh, well, I'm taking this year and I'm going to turn into like this financial how did you even study for the test because none of your education screamed at me like I know about the stock market and I know what to tell people to invest in or x y or z did you was there like a book you're like I'm going to study this book here and then take these tests yeah so the lucky thing about like TD and all the big brokerage firms is when they hire you as like a representative they invest like I think like 25,000 or like 30,000 in like each person because they give you like uh, a whole like couple, I think it was like two months, like training course. And essentially that teaches you how to like, it, it's kind of like boards and beyond or like Pathoma. Like, so it's like a, and it's like a organized by like a mediator. So that person, like we do like in-person, like practice tests and that sort of thing. So they kind of help guide you along the way. So it's like a really structured kind of like classroom setting. So essentially you're, you're getting paid to try to pass the exam and you essentially get two, two tries to pass it. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty nice deal. Like they pay you while you study. They put a lot of money into you because theoretically you'll be there long-term and they want to retain you, you know, because they have paid to train you. Right. <laughs> so were so. they pissed off when you left them? Were they like, ah, oh, look at this. Were they mad? <laughs> you know, I think my manager actually had a feeling like I wouldn't stay there for a long time. <laughs> Because a lot of the people in my class were a bit older than me. So they were like in their like mid thirties to like, uh, we even had a guy who was like in his fifties. So yeah, there are a lot like older people. Um, I guess she just thought like, I guess she could tell I was more ambitious. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, she wasn't really that shocked when I told her I'm leaving for medical school. So we left on good terms, but. Yeah. And with all this mad knowledge. Yeah, it was <laughs> a like, good deal right. for me. <laughs> Very good. For those of you that don't know, uh, Johnny's in, in, in charge of our, he's the president of our financial interest group. And I'm the faculty for it because I am famously awful with money. And Johnny's going to fix that. But the purpose of this podcast is we're going to find out knowing what he knows. Now you guys know that he took these fancy tests and he knows things about the stock market and such what it is that he's doing. So knowing what you know, my first question to you is what, what, what did you do? Are you, are you, did you take like loans out like, like the, the rest of us, or did you have like some really cool nest egg? Because I mean, you're having like a, a Roth 401k and you're a child. That's unusual. <laughs> Somebody did mention that to me. <laughs> 
somebody did mention that to me that I should possibly start this for my children. And I'm like, man, I am scraping it together for like their college situation. I don't know about this retirement deal. So thank God for your father for being forward thinking and wow. But tell me a little bit about that. So you get into medical school, are you signing up for loans? Yeah, so um, I was lucky to graduate college with not that much debt um, because I got like half my uh, tuition paid for by scholarships. Um, Thank the Lord, that was an expensive school. But (laughs) um, so I'm really glad that UTRGV is a very affordable school, um, especially for Texas residents. So um, I guess I also got lucky too because I'm an only child. So my parents don't really have to, I don't have to compete with like siblings for um, like, payment of, you know, college and like graduate school, that sort of thing. So um, I've been really fortunate in that sense. Uh, But, you know, I've actually like during my time at TD, I actually made a pretty big investment um, in like this small like biotech company, you might have heard of it now, it's called like Moderna. So joking. No, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I actually... (laughs) Because I actually heard about the stock from a guy named, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but uh, his, his name's like Jim Kramer. Uh, he's on CNBC. The guy that screams, the mad money yeah. man. Yeah, the yes. mad money guy, yeah. The screamer. I know <laughs> the who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people like asked him about Moderna before and like when it was around like, I think close to $30. And then I kind of kept track of it. It went all the way down to like $15, $13. And I was like, this mRNA technology has the potential to either get bought out by like a big, a big pharma company or eventually do something well for like vaccines or, you know, therapeutics. So I kind of took a gamble with them. I mean, worst case is it goes to zero, right? So that's the most you can lose with the stock. So um, I guess for better or worse, uh, COVID happened and then they just, you know, immediately got forward on making a vaccine. They got the whole, I think the virus sequenced in like a month or something like that. And yeah, they just took off. So, um, that's kind of helping to fund my education here. Oh my God. I mean, I'm one of your guinea pigs. I was one of the Moderna (laughs) guinea pigs. (laughs) So hello, I'm one of your guinea pigs. I don't even know what to say about that. A lot of the students that know me have heard me say uh, about my friend, um, Dr. Bakta, who uh, ended up being an anesthesiologist and the guy day traded the whole time I was in medical school. And I was like, oh, you know, Uncle Sam's letting me borrow this massive amount of money. I'm just going to go with that. And now that I'm an older lady, right, who's, I guess, looking forward to retirement, although I'm probably never going to retire, um, you know, you think of the like, oh, you know, like I could have done things differently. Well, now you hear this individual here freaking invested in Moderna. Oh my God. (laughs) And apparently you don't have to worry about student loans. It's badass. So, but the thing is, is that what I really want to ask you, like, let's pretend that you're me, right? My parents were broke. I mean, and they're still not wealthy people. They could not help me with my education. Pretend that you have to borrow money from uncle Sam like me. What you got very lucky. And I, I props to you. That's amazing. Um, but what would you recommend to somebody like me? Okay. So I've borrowed all this money from uncle Sam and I'm living off of this while I'm in medical school. And obviously working in medical school right now is, although I know some students do do that. I, I personally don't recommend it because I was a 
I, I worked in the hotel industry because nobody told me I wasn't supposed to work while I was in school. And I worked in school. And I think that that probably compounded my troubles, which are now, now famous on this podcast. But like, let's pretend I borrowed money and I'm living off of this. What, what would you tell me to do? And I'm in, I'm in MS1. What do I do? Yeah, so I would definitely tell you, uh, don't work a job in medical school. It's not worth it. Uh, you'll have so much stress, like just getting adjusted. Like it's a full-time job like medical school, you got to devote like all your time to it. So definitely don't recommend you uh, working like a job in medical school. You could uh, think about working like a job for the summer, um, like doing like a preceptorship, anything like that, that pays you like a stipend. Um, so if I was in your situation, like as a first year, um, definitely I would cut back on the Starbucks, cut back on eating out, cut back on like going out to bars, that sort of thing. Like you really want to minimize your expenses and like just live more of like a frugal lifestyle. Um, so definitely don't skimp out on like groceries that you need, you know, like veggies, fruits, everything like that. Um, but you can cut out like going to a fancy restaurant, you know, like kind of trying to make those like less frequent um, because you do want to repay your student loans as soon as possible because um you know the the longer you keep them the more interest that they're charging you so that also compounds right so essentially you want to like hit it as hard as and fast as you can and i would not recommend like using your student loans like any of that money to play in the stock market um because essentially that's kind of leading you down like a really dangerous path because um, if you actually lose money in the stock market, then you have even more money that you need to pay back. So that puts you further behind on your goals. So essentially like, you know, also not spending a lot of money on a car, just like getting a really simple car, like either like a Honda, Toyota, Kia, you know, they get you from point A to point B, as long as it's safe, fuel efficient, you know, that's all that really matters. So just living like that. And also like in the summer, uh, trying to find a preceptorship. Um, kind of where in the area either you're renting from or like in your hometown. So that way you don't have to pay rent. So essentially all that stipend money you can use towards paying off your student loans. So whether that be like four to $6,000, something like that. So just like trying to tackle that um, student loan debt as early as possible, because I know like there's quite a few students, like some of my friends um, from college, they actually went to medical school and they still had like almost like $100,000 in student loans from undergrad. And then they're going to like a, like a private DO school, you know, that sort of thing. So that's just not a good recipe. You, you want to make sure you tackle down your student debt um, as soon as possible, like get all those loans, like try to, try to make more than the minimum required payment. Because the more that you pay up front, the less the interest that accrues. So that'd be my recommendation. For you, Dr. Escalona, if you're an MS1 <laughs> starting out. Oh, those are, those are, and I mean, I, I, I frequent something called the, the White Coat Investor, which I think during your first meeting, you gave out the White Coat Investor book, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they, they do the hashtag live like a resident, meaning like hashtag, hashtag live like you're broke. Because when you're a resident, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have a lot of money. You're gonna have a lot of money for like a long time. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, that's just it. So you're recommending to live as frugally as possible. Right. And then whatever leftover money you have, if there's any, you're using that to pay down your debt. So what about when you hit residency? What is your plan? Because I deferred, what is that called? I don't even know what it was called. It was called like at 
like I deferred my freaking loans while I was a resident because I was broke and I couldn't pay them back. I was like, I don't want to call it. They were just in deferment. I don't even know what the heck the, the, the tag or the label was, but the government understood I was broke. I'm a resident and I'm not paying this crap back right now. Um, and so they weren't in deferment. Would you recommend like, okay, let's pretend that frugal MS1, Dr. Escalona, or not Dr. Escalona, Crystal shows up, saves money. I start trying to pay that down as soon as I graduate. And I don't, I don't defer the, the payments of my loan. What, what would you say there? You're like, oh, um, yeah, that's actually a good question. <laughs> I got um, you. <laughs> you have me living frugally. Well, all right. Well, then what, what, what am I going to do when I leave? <laughs> I mean, I'm not too familiar with like really like deferring your loans, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, as a resident, you're still you're making some kind of income. Um, usually, I think around like 40 to 50,000. So it's not like because when you're a medical student, you have no income at all. You have nothing. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of the money that I mean, I think you would still like really de it depends on each person's situation, like really how much debt they have in total. Like some people still have it from undergrad, you know, like, honestly, I still, I'm not too sure about like the deferment policy, but I just, based on my understanding, just like getting it paid off as soon as possible, like while you're living still like a sustainable life and you're sure. not miserable all the time right, is like the best policy for that. And if possible, like if you can get like family members or like relatives to kind of like help front you the money in a sense. So kind of like okay. borrow from them, like kind of on good faith that you'll return it um, okay. is much better than getting like a loan from the government or the bank. Cause you know, the interest rates are, they're terrible. <laughs> sure. You know, you see like six to 7%, that sort of thing. So so luckily yeah. when I was in school and I mean, sadly, you're going to be like, oh my God, how, how is this even a thing? I still owe a little bit of money from my med school debt because I mean, I had to borrow everything. And then on top of that, I married my significant other also came from a poor background. So neither he or I, we were both broke. And so we both borrowed because we both became doctorate level, whatever's it was expensive. And so paying down ended up being something like half a million dollars for both of us, because it was about like $200,000 in debt for me. And then about $200,000 in debt for him. It was all, I remember like when I married, I'm like, Oh, yay. Now I'm half a million dollars in debt. How fun is that? And I mean, I've never even seen or known that amount of money. Um, and so I still owe a little bit and I'm hoping like I, I did the physician, there's like a loan forgiveness program for those that you don't know, but for those of you that don't know that if you do, and this is like, I think it's like 120, 120. If you're like wondering like, what the heck is a hundred? It's 10 years of your life. If you have paid 10 years of your life and you work for a non-for-profit or you work, um, just like at a, at a public institution, they will forgive your debt. There's other programs out there also that do, um, loan forgiveness. So like, for example, the national health service Corps. right? If you sign up and go with them, they will pay off your debt for time served. The military also is another uh, route. Some of our students are looking into that. And famously, I was always really jealous of one of my, one of my, my friends from medical school. She ended up going with the Air Force and she served her time in Italy. She paid back all of her time to the military living in glamorous Italy, you know, 
during really cool surgical procedures on people that lived on the base that we freaking have in Italy eating gelato. So I was very jealous because she had no debt whatsoever. And I'm imagining her like in designer clothes eating gelato. And she's like, I'm doing my military payback time eating gelato. But um, so there's definitely resources out there. I think you have been very blessed. So when, so luckily, whenever I graduated from medical school, I ended up staying at my home institution there in Galveston at UTMB. Um, And so these people, and I've told you this story, and I think this is what made you feel sorry for me and asked me if you, if I wanted to be the faculty um, person for your interest group, Um, they put out little tables and you had to figure out who you're going to do your, your retirement with. And I mean, I didn't have anything in retirement. Remember the only thing I brought to the table was massive debt. And I told you that I went with MetLife because they had Snoopy and that's sad. Snoopy was what was driving my decision. And now that I'm older and I tell you that on my spare time, I listened to all these like financial wellness books. Uh, that was the worst decision I could have ever made. So how would you recommend our students like now, especially like our fourth years as they are about to embark graduating from medical school and they're all going to have, because if you go to do your residency, they will forcibly make you um, do a retirement account. So luckily here, because this is a UT system institution, you can do the TS, TRS, the teacher's retirement something. And then there's the optional retirement fund. You're going to be like, Oh God, this is so sad. You don't really know a whole lot. I don't Johnny. So I I can see the face you're making. You're like, Oh dear sweet Jesus. Optional retirement fund is what I was able to do, which is great. And so they match. And so apparently this is like, like the Holy grail that you want to have an employer that gives you free money to invest in your retirement. So tell, tell our students, pretend now that you, I've lived frugally I've obviously not had any accessory jobs. I've done the stipend situation that you told me about. I graduated from medical school. I'm going to go into my residency. What do you recommend I do now? Um, I would say, yeah, definitely take advantage of your employers, like, you know, 401k plans, like that sort of thing, because um, matching is great. Like, you know, if you put in a dollar, then the institution matches you 50 cents. So it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially you've already made like 50% in a way. But the only thing about the 401ks is you can't really pick like if you want to do individual stocks or something like that, you can't do that with the 401k. Um, basically, all you can do is like whatever company they're doing the 401k with, whether it be like a Fidelity, TD, Merrill Lynch, that sort of thing, or Vanguard. Um, you can only invest in like those ETFs, like the exchange traded funds or like the index funds. So those are more of, they're more like, I guess you could say like stable growth. Um, They won't necessarily like, you know, give you that super high growth if you're looking for something like that. Um, But I would recommend like, because as a resident, like you said, Dr. Escalona, you're not making as much money (laughs) as you would when you're a full-fledged practicing physician, you know, in your own clinic or in the hospital. Um, so I would recommend like as early as possible, even before your fourth year, um, setting up a Roth IRA. Um, so there's two different types of IRAs. Um, there's a traditional and a Roth. Um, basically like just to kind of keep it simple. Um, so the contribution limit for each of the retirement accounts, like the Roth and the traditional is $6,000. So, um, you can put 3,000 in a traditional and 3,000 in a Roth, but the total 
can only be 6,000. So whichever way you split it, or if you want to go all in on your Roth or all in on your traditional. But um, at our stage of the game, I would really recommend just getting, I'm not a tax advisor, just full disclosure here, but I would really recommend getting a Roth IRA because we're all assuming you're not like working some kind of like, you're not like a Jeff Bezos working on the side and doing medicine on the side, right? <laughs> um, we're all like in the lower tax bracket right now um, because we don't really have any income. Uh, so I would really recommend just getting a Roth IRA because the Roth IRA, um, all the contributions like that $6,000 that the maximum you can contribute, all of that has been taxed. So um, if you had like a summer job and you got like a stipend, so now the stipends are considered taxable income. So you can actually put that stipend towards your Roth IRA. So if your stipend was like uh, just $4,000, so the most you can contribute is 4,000 because that's all you've earned during that tax year. So basically, you know, it doesn't really matter. I guess like taxes are kind of irrelevant when we're in the lowest tax bracket. So it wouldn't make sense to put it into a traditional IRA because with the traditional IRA, you're getting a tax benefit. So you're putting in money, like basically pre-tax. So, but the only problem with the traditional IRA is when you go to withdraw it, when you're 59 and a half, you're going to pay taxes at whatever your tax level is at that point. But with the Roth IRA, um, when you turn 59 and a half and you want to withdraw it, uh, you don't pay taxes on. So if your 6,000 turns into like a million dollars when you're 59 and a half and you want to withdraw that, you can take out that whole million dollars. You're not going to be taxed a penny because whatever you put in was already taxed. So it's like a really good vehicle. And don't quote me on this, but I think the income, there's a certain income limit for the Roth IRA. So I think if you make like 140 or like 150, um, like for an individual, you can no longer, if you make over that, you can no longer contribute to your Roth IRA. So like really getting that started like early on, like, cause each year, theoretically you can do 6,000, just depending on if you have that earned income. So you really want to get that started early on in your career as a future physician, because, you know, eventually you won't be able to contribute to that Roth IRA unless you like decide to not get paid for, you know, doing your job. But I mean, that's another story. <laughs> Yikes. So. Okay. So let me just make sure because the, the medical student, the former medical student in you wants to know, let's pretend that I lived the frugal life, like you're seeing, and I have and I have that stipend money and I have leftover loan money because I've been eating ramen every day and driving around in my Kia. Am I investing my leftover loan money into this Roth IRA? Or you're talking about, I'm, I'm only using my stipend money and to put the, into this thing. Uh, I would recommend only the stipend money um, just because yeah, <laughs> the stipend money is like your earned income. And like, I would obviously contribute like at least I would say half of your stipend money, like towards your IRA if possible, but, and then the other half towards paying off like your student debt. Um, like, honestly, I think that's kind of like the best way to play it. Um, just because you want like to get as the least amount of interest charged to you when you have student loans as possible, but you still want to have some skin in the game for investing. Um, so I would kind of recommend it doing like a 50, 50 split. I think that would be the best opportunity for that. Um, yeah, but definitely don't use student loan money for like stocks or investing. That's like really 
dangerous and it could put you behind. <laughs> well, see, so. I don't know that, right? But you have me living frugally and now I've got all this extra cash, not like a lot of it, but I have some and I know that I want to invest it. Okay. So we're clear. We're not using our leftover loan money in anything other than paying back. Getting rid of that student loan. Yeah. Got it. And then perhaps considering starting a Roth IRA in our fourth year. Okay. How do you feel about um, getting somebody, like if you're not as financially savvy, I'm hoping that like our students here are able to get like financial savvy and enough to not, not have a financial advisor, but what do you, how do you feel about financial advisors? Should I run out and get one the minute I graduate or what, what, what do you recommend? So I would say like, getting yourself educated first is probably the first stepping stone um, because a lot of the times like financial advisors will use like jargon you're not familiar with. Um, so I think just like using like the white coat investor book, um, we're actually giving those out on Monday. So we haven't given them out yet. Yeah. Oh, just kidding. Okay. That. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so we're giving those out on Monday, December 13th. Um, but basically like getting yourself educated, like through YouTube videos. Um, there's this really good couple YouTube channels I watch, um, like CNBC for sure. Um, there's like this thing called the investor channel. Um, there's also this other YouTube channel called financial education. Um, so the financial education is, I guess when you get a little more advanced, it's, he's more talking about like different individual stocks and his analysis. So um, I would say like also checking out websites, like there's also like NerdWallet, Investopedia, just getting yourself educated first um, before you get a financial advisor. And a lot of the times financial advisors won't even really contact you or really talk to you. I mean, based on my experience working there, if your account is not even meeting like 25,000, like they won't even really reach out to you and, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Because, you know, financial advisors, they charge fees, right? So the bigger your account, the more fees they can, you know, the more that fee kind of goes into their commission. So I would say getting yourself financially educated first, and then you can think about getting a financial advisor, um, like further along in your career. But I wouldn't say like financial advisor first thing, once you're a full-fledged physician, definitely not. So. Okay. And just so that, you know, I, you're probably watching stuff for advanced people. I just wanted to throw out there that, um, oh my God, what's the name of the, the guy from Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett. Oh, Buffett, He has a yeah. cartoon. He, oh yeah? <laughs> yeah, totally. So what I'm supposed to do in order to make my own children savvier with money, and even though like I'm like still watching, right? They have a cartoon like just for the basics of finances, you know, CNBC and then that Kramer dude, that's over my head. I'm hoping it won't be over my head for long. And the other thing I wanted to, to throw out there that a lot of people don't know, but I watch a lot of John Oliver. Do you like him? Or is this like an old lady show? John Oliver on HBO? No, okay, I, it's an old I'm lady not, show. I've, <laughs> I've no. heard of him on HBO, but I don't know what he does. <laughs> so, so he guilty. talked about one of these days when you guys finally, like you're financially savvy and maybe you do want to get a financial advisor. Uh, there's something called a fiduciary and those that are not. And so I didn't know what the difference was. I was like, dude, what do I care? But you do care because the fiduciary, what it makes sure is that financial advisors are looking out for your interests, not their own. So there's different kinds of financial advisors that are only looking to like make their own pockets heavy, right? 
and trying to get as many fees and things like that out of you. But then there's a different kind and those are called the fiduciaries and they're supposed to be benevolent and good, as good as a financial advisor could get um, and not just be after you. Um, and, and I didn't know what the difference was. I, I did speak to a financial advisor once and I mean, I could tell that he did not have my best interest in mind. Cause like once you graduate, even from your residency, you have to start thinking about things like disability insurance or like, what if I lose an arm or become freaking dismembered? Or I don't even know. There's insurance for freak and he's like, whoa, but this is the honest to God truth. And so you end up having to like worry about like, okay, well, let's pretend that maybe I become, you know, incapacitated and I'm not able to function as a physician anymore. How the heck am I going to feed my family? And so there's all these different insurances and things like that, that you have to think about. And um, luckily I was able to find a good financial advisor to help me through that process. But I met with one who was trying to get me to buy whole life insurance, which is really creepy. Don't do that. (laughs) You're like, wow. (laughs) don't do that. If you have somebody coming after you for freaking whole life insurance, be suspicious and run away. Um, but those are just some things that you want to think about and weird terms. Like I don't think about the word fiduciary. I think about words like empyema and sepsis. I don't think about, I don't think about these other things like ever. And on top of that, again, pediatricians are famous for not being good with money because we don't care. That's the sad part, right? As long as we have enough to keep the lights on and we're eating food that's about like the basics of it. We're not like out to become Warren Buffett, sadly. Um, but I think if you, if you start taking care of your money from the get-go, and I mean, I think this is like the holy grail of, of every student and even every faculty that you work because you want to, not because you have to. So what tips other than starting to invest in a Roth IRA during your fourth year what other tips would you give our students and becoming educated and watching the channels you just uh, let us know about? What what other tips would you would you give them? Because I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that this is your goal as well, right? That you work because you want to, not because you have to. And like the day that you know your job is, you're like, you know what, the heck with this, I'm out. You can be out or not work for a year or X, Y, or Z. I'm not there yet, by the way. I think that's called financial independence, right? Okay, cool. <laughs> Tell me what it is that I should think about now as a medical student. How do I get to become financially independent? Is it just starting out with these things? Is it doing extra? What What do you recommend, Johnny? Yeah, I would say um, just like once you get like financially educated, um, you can kind of think about like your expenses. I don't think about expenses in life like always like this, but like maybe if you wanted to get like the newest iPad, and you already have like a iPad that's only like a year old, like think about, okay, if I'm dropping another thousand dollars on like an iPad, like what else could I be doing with that money? Like, could I have been using it to help pay off my student loan? Um, could I have been putting it, you know, into my IRA? Like maybe that was part of my stipend. You can even open, uh, cause we mainly talked about IRAs in this podcast, but you can also open your indiv- in individual brokerage account. So essentially, that's like, you don't need to have any income for that. Like you could have money from your bank account and just like um, going there to buy and sell stocks, you know, that sort of thing. But I think just like kind of viewing it in a way like, okay, I'm buying this thing or I'm buying like a really fancy car. Um, Do I really, you know, need this right now? 
or can I like put that money to better use like elsewhere in my life? Like whether it be paying off the loans, you know, investing in a company that you've researched, you know, that sort of thing. So I think just viewing things through that sort of a lens kind of gives you like the, a better path to being financially independent in the future. So I think it's kind of like medical school, right? You take the short-term pain, but you're going to have a long-term gain helping out patients and, you know, achieving like that satisfaction in life. So I kind of view it like that. (laughs) That's ridiculously good advice. I would say that now as like an older ish physician, um, I definitely view things like that. I went to a store with my mom. It was like a fancy, one of our, one of our, um, one of my peers ended up getting married in Monterrey and I'd not been there in ages. And there was like this, like, like I love, like, I don't know if you know, I, I'm like Mexican, but I'm like super Mexican and I love like everything. I'm not even kidding. Like boxes that are made by like artisans or whatever. And so they had, so there's this kind of box that's really famous. And I have, I guess now I found out I have the ghetto version of the boxes. I did not know that at the time until I walked into the the, store. Did you get the knockoff? No, they're not knockoffs because they're like still handmade by people. But apparently there's like ghetto versions and then there's like high roller versions. I'd never seen the high roller ones in my life. And so it was this beautiful box. Beautiful. They're called, they're like from deep in Mexico and they're called the Olinala. If you sniff them, they smell beautiful because they're made out of a particular wood. This is more than you ever wanted to know. The box was $800, okay? So I picked up this box and my mother's like, my mother has like, no, this poor woman is, I, she's, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. She just buys whatever the heck she wants. Like impulse buys? Impulse buys, <laughs> who yeah. cares? I don't care about the consequences or X, Y, or Z. I'm like holding this box. And my mom's like, you should totally buy that. And I'm like, I cannot buy this. She's like, you should totally, don't you think it's beautiful? I go, oh, absolutely. I think it probably should be like in some sort of a museum situation. But that's exactly how I saw the money, right? That once I spent it and put it into that box, that money was gone. It can't grow. It can't do anything for me anymore. And it's sad because now I've listened to so many of these freaking books that like now that I, when I have to make like bigger purchases, it's like, ee. where before when I was a dodo, I would have been like, woo, look at my $800 box. And no, you know, that's just so wrong. And I guess maybe like, because I've been working so hard for my money for a while now, it's it like, it kills me. I, and I don't want to tell you that I'm a cheapskate because I will spend money like nobody's business, sadly, which is why I'm in my certain situation. But but I definitely see that as money running away from me that'll no longer work. And I think I told you there was this commercial it was on TV for a while that showed money being lazy. And like, it was just like money that was sleeping and like not working. And I get it now that money's supposed to be like invested somewhere, but it's like sitting in a sad savings account, not earning any yeah. interest. You're supposed to put it to work. And I never saw money like that before. But again, my parents, my background, our financial literacy was like in a toilet and my poor mommy's financial literacy continues to be in a toilet. And I try to tell her, but it's, yeah, it's that ship has sailed, man. But you're going to, she does what she wants. (laughs) You're going to help her out eventually. (laughs) No, like it just, it doesn't work. And it's funny. Like, she's like, Oh, now I understand you won't buy it because you're scared of your husband. I'm like, scared of who? And I'm like, no, that's not what it is. I'm like, thank God I'm safe. I'm not afraid I'm going to get beat up at home for a box. 
That's not what it is at all. Anyways, so yeah, no, financial literacy is absolutely within everybody's reach. And I I really do appreciate the tips. So your meeting is going to be where on Monday? So that, because I'm sure most of the students are enthralled and they're dying to join. <laughs> it'll be in the, <laughs> it'll be, uh, we'll have that guest lecturer, uh, Dr. Jorge Vidal. Um, so he spoke like a week ago or so. Um, to all the medical students, uh, just kind of about like general loans and stuff. But this one's going to be more, I guess, catered towards medical students and their particular situations. So um, that'll be in the Edinburgh Team-Based Learning Center, uh, where the Reserva Coffee is. Um, it'll be in room 1.102. Um, so it's like that bigger classroom, like to the left-hand side, where you have that door with the swipe access. Yeah. Um, yeah, that really shady door. <laughs> the shady door. <laughs> But Where we were before, I yeah, remember. Exactly. <laughs> Very good. Well, excellent. Well, is there is there anything you would like to add, or you think this is like a good basis for like people to get started becoming more financially savvy? Yeah, I would just um, probably add on your point. Like you're right about the banks. Um, you're earning like 0.03% interest. Like pretty much after a month on like ten thousand dollars, you're making like what ten cents or something like that. So. <laughs> It is. Yeah. I mean, if you have that much money in the bank, um, I'd highly recommend for and like anyone in that situation, in that fortunate situation of having over 10,000 in the bank, um, just to, you know, put it towards paying off your student loans if you're having any of that or starting an individual um, uh, account, like with, uh, so you're able to buy and sell stocks and uh, ETFs, that sort of thing, because you want to make your money work for you because um, theoretically, um, there's like a lot of statistics about it, like the S&P 500, which is the index of the uh, U.S. top, like the biggest 500 companies in the world, and the NASDAQ 100, which is the top 100 non-financial companies in the U.S. Um, they have been shown, like if you invest in a simple index fund, sorry, this is kind of getting off topic, but the simple index funds, like the, there's like ones like the VOO, so that's the Vanguard um, I, I'm not sure what the double O stands for, but essentially it's the ETF that tracks the S&P 500. So however much the S&P goes up, if it goes up 1% in a day, you're, if you buy the VOO, it'll go up about the same amount. And it'll also go down about the same amount. So there's been a lot of research that, you know, investing in all these different like ETFs, especially Vanguard or Invesco. Uh, Invesco is also a really good one. So they run the QQQ, the triple Qs. Um, so that one is actually tracking the NASDAQ. So the NASDAQ was the 100 biggest. Um, you can think of the NASDAQ more as um, biotech and technology companies. So all like oh. the really higher growth names and some pharma companies and that sort of thing, medical devices. Okay. Um, so yeah, those. Is that where your those? fancy BioNTech stock came from? No, actually, it uh, it actually got into the Nasdaq. Um, I think several months ago. So then that shot the stock up more. <laughs> Before it was a really small cap company. It wasn't in any of these indexes. It wasn't on anyone's radar at all. So Moderna, oh yeah. <laughs> Lucky man. Yeah, you really, was, really did. I told my coworkers all about it, like and what I like, thought about it, and nobody invested. Nobody wanted to buy it. So I was like, well. I'm either going big or going home. <laughs> oh my God. So. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's very, very lucky. That's for yeah, sure. But 
getting the um, like the ETFs. So like if you're in the NASDAQ ETF, like the QQQ yeah. or the um, uh, S&P 500 one, like the VOO, uh, they have been shown to over like the course of about like 15 to 20 years, the average return is about 7%. That's good. So you're making way more than you are yeah. like keeping your money in the bank. Your money's being devalued. You'd rather put in Bitcoin. Actually, don't put it in Bitcoin if it's your first time investing. <laughs> oh my God, how funny. Yeah. I, I know people so. that do that, but no, you're right. Like I looked up, because I was listening to like one financial book and they were like, put your money in a money market account. And I'm like, ooh, money market account. What the hell is that? And then I looked it up and it was like something sad. It was like paying like 0.3. And I'm like, yeah. really? It's making, it's basically like putting your money in the bank. It's not even as much as you put it in a savings account. A savings account like with Discover is like 0.4%. Yeah. So at least it's better than the bank, but your money's still being, you know, devalued. But the only good thing about that is you can pull it out at any time. That's true. But the thing is like, if the market's having a bad like couple months, you can't really pull out your money unless you want to take a loss. Right. So there it really kind of depends on your situation, but definitely putting money to work as soon as possible, like money that you can afford to lose. Right. Um, yeah, I would, I would little say by like, little that's like, it's getting in. Like I, I, I have an account with, cause I listened to a book uh, called the simple path to wealth. And so they rave about uh, Vanguard and they rate because I guess like they don't have like a lot of fees. Like if you get to investing yeah. in the stock market, you have to look and see how much these people, because I even thought about doing that acorn thing. You've heard oh, of acorns, yeah, right? The one that invests your spare change. But the yeah. thing is, is that they charge you money too. And so I was like looking at that and I was like, I give like extra, like a little bit to my freaking Vanguard crap that that'll, that'll do. And that'll grow. Hopefully it'll grow at that 6%. Another thing I wanted to mention is that when I first started waking up to this, I saw that um, credit unions will pay, uh, like for example, where I, I currently have my money right now is Navy Army and they pay 3.3% um, for a checking account. So even though like my money's sitting there in the checking account, what whatever little it makes, it's you know, it's, it's better than freaking 0.5 or whatever the heck that was for the money market account. That I was like, this is a joke. And why am I giving you my money? So all of these things are just ridiculously good tips. And so if you're a student and you're interested in becoming more financially literate, talk to Johnny. <laughs> I even have faculty who are like, do you have his email address? I'm like, how about we leave him alone? He's doing medical school. So he's a little busy right now. But um, but I mean, I, I really, really appreciate you and, and your mission into in trying to, you know, introduce this. My husband, I think I told you, is a is a farm D and half of his education was being spent on how to set up a business, how to invest money. And you will note that in medical education, you will learn none of those things. So my husband like leaps and bounds. He's like, and he actually also invested in Moderna. Yeah. Wow, it's I guess that's the, I, I guess I, that's I, the trend. <laughs> I guess that's the trend. And he like, so yeah, no, he, he's, he's, he's just more financially literate. And it makes me angry because I'm at a disadvantage because I didn't get this in my medical education. And so we're really working hard to try and change that. So go to the meeting if you get a chance. Um, thank you, Johnny for taking the time to sit with us and impart your fantastic knowledge. Fourth year medical students, think about Roth IRAs. 
don't use your leftover loan money to play in the stock market. And and yeah, become more financially literate. Well, thank you so much, Johnny, for taking the time to sit with us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you in our next episode.